0: I've been looking forward to what I get to do today. I get to take one of the most important texts in the New Testament about the Holy Spirit in the life of the Christian. And I get to connect it to one of the most intense and difficult issues For any human being, and especially a human being, in our day and age. The text is Romans 8, verses 12 through 17. So why don't you turn there? If you're using the church Bible, that's going to be on page 944. And the issue is the issue of identity. Who am I? What sense do I make of the stuff inside of me and the stuff around me? And how do I fit in? And what am I here for? And this text uh, brings the Holy Spirit of God right into the middle of that set of identity issues. Let me read it to you. This text contains verses that are probably the most meditated on in my life as a Christian. Meditated on and reflected on uh, verses in the entire Bible. So uh, this is, to me, this is a watershed text. I'm going to ask you to stand as I read it. Romans 8, verses 12 through 17. So then, brothers and sisters... We are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live, i.e. fully live, abundantly live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with or to our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. This is God's Word. Please be seated. So, identity issues are involved when, for instance, a preteen asks the question, How do I know if I am gay? Or when a college student asks the question, what should I do with my life? Or a young adult asks, am I called to marriage? To singleness? Or when an adult asks, what do I do with these different desires, dynamics in my heart? Do I step out and declare a new me, a new identity? These are all identity issues Identity is the issue when we ask these kinds of questions. Who am I really? Who decides? Me others parents friends social unit around me am I socially constructed Facebook God who decides who I am or again? Where do I find my truest self in my feelings in my desires, my strengths, my dreams, in what people tell me? Or again, why am I here? Am I made for something? What's my life for? And how do I figure that out? Do I decide for myself? Is it something I just choose? Or is it something that I discover because it was already planned? There are all sorts of cultural artifacts and stuff out there around uh, these issues of identity. Let's just think of movies. The Lion King is a, is a movie about identity. Uh, those of you who might know, uh, to me it's a great older film, Memento. That's about identity. But my favorite movies about identity are the Bourne identity movies. Jason Bourne, he's a, he's a CIA agent. And he has I mean, he has all these really freak abilities because he's this highly trained CIA agent. But he also has amnesia. And he cannot remember who he is. All he knows is that he has these freak abilities and that people, including sometimes the police, are out to get him. At one point... In the early film, the first film, he says to a young woman uh, at a truck stop. He's up in the Alps, high up in the Alps. He's at this truck stop, and he's talking to this woman. I think her name is Marie. And this is what he says. He says, I can tell you the license plate numbers of all six cars outside in the parking lot. I can tell you that our waitress is left-handed. I can tell you that the guy sitting up at the counter weighs 215 pounds. And I know that at this altitude, I can run flat out for half a mile before my hands start shaking. How can I know all that and not know who I am? Identity is a real issue in our culture. And our culture offers so many identity choices, And it encourages us to kind of pick and choose like a cafeteria line. And some of the things that it encourages us to to set identity with are, 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 I'll call them, lighter things. Brands, logos, bands, music, clothing, style, cars. Some of them are deeper. Fears, desires. David Kinnaman, he's the head of the Barna Group, which is one of the leading poll agencies in the country. They especially focus on faith-based issues. Here's what he writes. Today, in the U.S., human beings blend their identities from a menu of ingredients, kind of like a me-shaped frappuccino of needs, desires, and self-perceptions. And then our digital screens they grant us access to a plethora of identity-forming tools, communities, and adventures. Romans 8, 12 through 17, brings the gospel right into issues of identity. It does even more than that. It brings the Holy Spirit of God right into the middle of issues of identity for the Christian. Because let me remind you from last week, if you are a Christian, if you have trusted Jesus as your Messiah, your King, your Lord, your Savior, you are a Christian and you you have the Holy Spirit in you. Let's start with verse 12. Let me show you how identity plays out in this text. Verse 12, Paul writes, Brothers and sisters, we are debtors not to the flesh. That's an identity statement. And it's a powerful one. We are not debtors to the flesh. Now, you recall, those of you here last week, flesh, let me kind of give you a summary of what I said about the flesh. We talked a bit about the flesh last week. Flesh is all that broken, evil stuff inside you, the desires and the voices and the temptations that you're born with that, that pull you down. The stuff inside that, that God, through his word, says that's, that's, that's fallen, that's broken, that needs to be rescued. That's sin and evil that needs to be transformed. That's your flesh. And Paul could have said here, when he says, we are debtors not to the flesh, he could have said, and this is, just, this is, a, this is a nuance, but it's going to make a very important point. He could have said, we don't owe anything to the flesh. In other words, he could have used a verb rather than a noun. Don't owe anything rather than not debtors. And Paul loves verbs. He loves strong verbs. He even makes up his own verbs. But he chooses not to use a verb here. Instead, he uses a noun. We are not debtors. And in doing that, he's making an identity statement a negative one, but an identity statement. As a Christian, I am not a debtor to the flesh. My identity is not to be defined by all the flesh inside of me. I don't owe that flesh anything. He's been arguing that since the beginning of the chapter. Let me review that for you. Uh, God, he says, up in verses 1 and 2, uh, excuse me, verse 3. Like, Verse three, I have to look around the the, the uh, speaker there. He condemned the sin in my flesh. Verse three, verse four. I don't have to walk in my flesh. Verse five. I don't have to adopt a flesh mindset. And verse ten, uh, verse nine. Excuse me. I'm not stuck in my flesh. I'm not stuck there. I'm not trapped by this. Jesus Christ has set me free to establish an identity that leads to life. Verse 3, Jesus did this by his death and his resurrection. Verse 3, Jesus did this uh, when God sent his own son, Jesus, in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin or as as a substitute offering for my sin, God, doing that, condemned sin in the flesh. This is gospel freedom. This is the start of gospel identity. You and I don't have to set our identity by sins, weaknesses, uh, uh, fallen desires. Let me put it this way. Our culture says, find yourselves by looking inside. Romans 8, 1 and 2 No condemnation, law of the spirit of life. Romans 8, 1 and 2 says, find yourself by looking to Christ. Our culture says, any path will lead to life. Choose it. Romans 8, 10 says, oh, there are many paths that lead to death, but there is one path, the spirit's path. Verse 10, that leads to life and peace. Our culture says you're free to define yourself by whatever you want, including evil. Romans 8, 12 says, don't be a debtor to the flesh. These are things that we need to talk about. These are things that a sermon like this can only begin to open up. We need to talk about these things in our families. We need to talk about these things with our friends, with our roommates, in our small groups. We all struggle with identity. We all struggle with things inside of us that want to master us. And shape us. And refashion our identity. And to use Paul's terms. Make us debtors to the flesh. These are things that we need to talk about. And therefore. Let me take this one step further. For us as a congregation. These are things. That we need to welcome. Discussion. About. So parents small group leaders, elders, staff, deacons, ministry leaders, we should not be scandalized. We should not be put off when someone comes to us and shares doubts, questions, worries, fears, struggles with identity. We need to let other people know that they can bring these things up, that this is the very place where we want to be talking about these things, where people know, I can bring this up here and be loved just the same, no matter how deep, how intense the struggle with identity is. Now, I got all that from verse 12. It took about 12 minutes. There are five more verses to go. Don't worry. First of all, we're not going to cover verse 17. Uh, that's a transition verse. I'll, I'll mention it briefly in passing, but that's a transi- transition verse to the next text which takes us in a very different direction, out of ourselves and now out into the creation, the world around us. We'll get to that next week. Verse 17 is a transition. But verses 13, 14, 15, 16, where they continue this theme of identity. Verse 12 is kind of the negative. This is what you don't do to set your identity. 13, 14, 15, 16 is the positive. This is what you do, to, or this is what the Holy Spirit does. To help you set your identity. They're gospel rich verses, 13 to 16. My sons, when they were in high school, they had a science teacher, and she was big on figure it out for yourself. It's kind of like her mantra. You know, problem set. Figure it out by yourself. Term project, big term project. Figure it out by yourself. A prep for the final exam. Figure it out by yourself. Oh, and and by the way, at the end of the semester, I get to give you a grade and you don't get to figure that one out by yourself. Our God has not left us alone to figure out these identity issues by ourselves. What happens in verses 13, 14, 15, and 16 is that God shows us how he's given himself. He's given us his Holy Spirit in order to, in the positive way, help us shape and deepen and experience a totally new identity in Jesus Christ. And in the time that remains, we are going to run through verses 13 to 16. And we're going to do so by taking a look at what I call three identity-shaping works of the Spirit of God in the heart of all born-again followers of Jesus the Messiah. Here's the first identity-shaping work. Verses 13 and 14. The Spirit leads you to deal earnestly with the fallen sinful stuff of your heart. Let's take a look at the text. Verse 14, we'll start, and then we'll work back up into verse 13. Verse 14, Paul has this wonderful picture. He says, you did not receive... Excuse me, verse 14. "For, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. All who are led by the Spirit of God. What a beautiful picture. Paul uses it a couple other times in his letters, this idea of the Holy Spirit leading us. And it's really, it's Psalm 23, the the Shepherd psalm from the Old Testament brought up into the Christian's life. We're like sheep. Sheep that go astray. And we need a shepherd. And God's given us Himself is shepherd, Christ our shepherd, and and the Holy Spirit is the inside shepherd. The Holy Spirit leads us into paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Verse 13 explains that more specifically. Paul says, if you, by the Spirit, by the Spirit's influence, prompting, leading, if you put to death the deeds, some translations handle that, misdeeds, and I like that translation, misdeeds of the body, then you will live. In other words, if by the Spirit's influence you put to death the misdeeds of the body, the, the, the junk, the sins, the mistakes that we make because of those fallen desires inside of us, if you put those things to death, those deeds, then you will live. In other words, you'll have the abundant life, the thriving identity that Jesus gives. Now, these standout word in verse 13 is, it's a single word in the original, put to death. It's a forceful word. It's a forceful picture. Paul's being forceful here, like Jesus is forceful in the Gospels. Here's a quotation from Matthew chapter 5, where Jesus says, If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out, cast it from you. What he's saying there to his followers, what he's saying is, Hey, man, if if you've got something that's, that's, that's messing you up, Then do something about it. Be resolved. Be strong about it. Pursue it and get rid of it. Do what you can to take care of it. He's not being literal, he's being exaggeratedly figurative. Pluck it out and get rid of it. And so, Paul here put it to death. Strong picture. And strong because the desires inside of us can be very, very strong. The very desires that, that can lead us to, a, to, a, to a, an identity that leads to death. Those, those desires can be so strong. And Paul says, put them to death. And do it in collaboration with the Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will help you to put to death the misdeeds of the body. He will help you, first of all, by helping you to identify those desires inside of you. I mean, the flesh inside of you is different from the flesh inside of me. We both have flesh, but it's it's got different shapes to it. My weaknesses aren't your weaknesses. Your weaknesses aren't mine. So identify those desires inside of you. Listen to the Spirit's still small voice. His voice speaks through, through His Word. His voice speaks through other Christians and Bible studies, sermons, that kind of stuff. Listen for His voice. Listen and be resolved. The Spirit will also then help you learn how to cut the desires off when they kick into play i mean a stitch in time saves nine is the expression right you do something early on and it's a lot easier to take care of something than when then when it plays out more fully so the spirit is the spirit of wisdom the spirit is the spirit of holiness he can teach you and will teach you what to do, how to recognize, okay, that desire is activating and what's the most strategic thing I can do right now when it's early on in the cycle to put it to death. And then the Spirit will help you to keep on cutting those desires off so they don't lay siege to your identity. I mean, the word here, put to death, is an ongoing activity. Keep on putting to death. So you have to put to death the desire today. And then Wednesday it kicks in again. You have to put, to put the desire to death on Wednesday. And then a week from Friday it kicks in again. You just got to keep on doing it and keep on doing it. The Spirit will help you do that. But you got to be resolved. How do you get that resolve? Out of f- fear and dread of God out of a desire to perform and prove myself? Well, now, verses 15, 16, take this to the next step and show you a very different identity-forming motivation. Verse 15 is the second identifying, identity-shaping work, and that is that the Spirit places a dread of God with a heartfelt love for God. One of my go-to reads is a pastor named A.W. Tozer. Pastor in the U.S. in the early 20th century. And I think his most important line that he wrote, and he wrote a lot of great lines, is this one. What comes into our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And I think that's true. Because if there is a God, then he defines everything. So people who say that there's no God, if they, they don't think there's a God, that's going to shape their identity. Their identity is going to move in a certain direction. Their worldview is going to move in a certain direction. Uh, maybe it'll be a, I'm, I get to do what I want kind of identity. Because there's no God. When I was 19 years old, 18, 19 years old, I was trying to construct my identity around that, that belief. It's another story. But I came to realize how empty that was. Or again, maybe maybe for you, God God is distant. He's there, but he, he's distant. He's the watchmaker. You know, he kind of wound up the watch and now he's checked out and he's on vacation somewhere. In which case, that's going to play in your identity. You kind of, a, a, I, I'm on my own. And maybe at some point, God will come back and grade me. But at least for now, figure it out for myself. Or again, if you you think that God is heartless, could care less about you, that leads to a a very different identity, a a, a motivation out of fear, dread, maybe trying to get God's attention. You know? How we identify God shapes how we identify ourselves. Now look at the text, verse 15. You did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. There was a guy way back at the time of Paul. Pretty influential writer. Plutarch is his name. And he wrote what, during that era, he wrote what we might call today a report. It's called a tractate, tape. A long report. And the report was on, uh, from his standpoint, as he thought it through, on what he called the dread of the gods. The Roman and Greek gods, Zeus. Apollo, all those gods. And here's a, here's a statement from his report. The gods are short-tempered and unkind. They're ready to inflict punishment on people. Of all the kinds of human fear, the most impotent and unyielding is fear of these kinds of gods. Short-tempered. Ready to punish. That was then, and that is now. There are billions of people who form their identities based on superstitious fear of a god or gods who are out to get them, who are ready to punish. And even here in this sanctuary, some of you, by virtue of your background, your upbringing, your temperament. The tendency is to think, God's out to get me. He's my enemy. What Paul is saying here changes all that. The gospel comes along. And it presents God as Savior in Jesus Christ. And we receive the gospel. And then we know in our, ho- in our heads, we know in our heads, God loves us. I mean, this is what Paul wrote earlier in Romans, Romans 5. 8. God has demonstrated his love for us and that while we were still sinners, his son, Jesus Christ, died for us. You can get that in your head. You can understand that in your head. But how do you get it down here to your heart? God has not left us alone on that. For what Paul is saying in verse 15 is that God has given us in place of a spirit of bondage and fear, he's given us a spirit of adoption as sons. Adoption as sons, I mean, women may be saying, well, what we, you know, what about women? The point that Paul's making there is that since girls back then Were not adopted with any real effect. Only the, the boys were adopted. He's making the point that any of us, male or female, when we become believers in the Messiah Jesus, we now become fully entitled, adopted daughters and sons of the Living God with. All rights and all privileges. The guys don't have any more than the girls. We all have them all. And I could preach a series. I have preached a series in this church on all those privileges and rights and and blessings. But here's a summary of it from a catechism, the Westminster Catechism. Those adopted enjoy all the liberties and privileges of God's children they have God's name put upon them. I mean, just that alone. They, they receive the spirit of adoption, which is what we're talking about. We're going to develop in just a minute. They have access to the throne of grace with boldness. You can, you can go to God and you can tell him whatever's on your heart with no fear of punishment. They're enabled to cry, Abba, Father. They're pitied. They're protect, protected. They're provided for and they're disciplined by God as Father. Wow, what a statement. And we can get that in our heads. Sometimes the distance between our head and our heart is six miles. It's just so far apart. And what Paul's saying in verse 15 is not simply that we're adopted. Where he's saying that we've been given a spirit of adoption that will move, if I can put it this way... At times, right beyond our brain, right beyond what what we're thinking, move right down to our heart, heart to heart, spirit to spirit, God to the believer and say, God is your father. You know him now as Abba, Father, as he says at the end of the verse, quoting Jesus when Jesus prayed. Abba, Father, my Father, my dear, dear Father. And my observation, personally and pastorally, is it when that happens, when the Holy Spirit of God in your heart releases that, that Abba, Father, you're my Father. That is one of the most unforgettable and transformative of moments in a Christian's life. And Paul is telling you, if you're a follower of Jesus, that that spirit will release that in your heart from time to time. My observation also, personally and pastorally, is that the Holy Spirit Loves to release that kind of freedom, that endearment to God during particular situations and places. It's kind of like it's kind of like when I was dating Karen, you know, I didn't want to be too pushy, but I did want to be kind of like there, so I'd kind of study where she was, kind of make myself present, where she would hang out, you know. And then let let what happened happened, and it happened. (laughs) It's the same with the Holy Spirit. If you hang out where he likes to hang out, why not? He likes to hang out when you're you're reading the Bible, when you're meditating on scripture. He likes to hang out when you pray. He likes to hang out when you gather and worship like this. He likes to hang out when you're studying scripture and having rich fellowship with other Christians. That's where he likes to hang out. And he will release the spirit of adoption into your heart. Third, third identity shaping work is verse 16. The spirit speaks directly to your heart and assures you you are God's child. Now, you probably see that you say, well, that's the same thing you were just saying. But actually, no, it isn't. Verse 15 is talking about the Spirit working in us so that we view God a certain way. He's Abba, he's Father. Verse 16 flips it around It says, oh, by the way, the Spirit of God also does the other thing. He, he, he releases into an, our heart an understanding of how God sees us. So he says, verse 16, the Spirit himself bears witness with, or I might translate that, to our spirit, that we are children of God. There are times when the Holy Spirit will speak, he will give testimony, he will witness, so to speak, directly to your heart and assure you you're you're God's child. You are loved by him. God loves you. We all need that especially those of you who are in the millennial and Gen X generation. And I pull you out because those generations, the level of fatherlessness in those generations is so much higher. 33% of children in the U.S. are fatherless. And rejection is the defining characteristic of a fatherless generation. And perhaps the worst thing about rejection, fatherlessness, in, in most instances, where, where obviously where the father is still alive and has chosen not to be the father in any active way, perhaps the most difficult thing is to know that someone who should love you has chosen not to love you. That's so hard. Don't you ever wonder if God loves you? Don't you ever wonder if he, of all the billions of people here today in the face of planet Earth, if he knows you and loves you and has you as his child? Well. If that's the case, it totally defines who we are. It just totally changes our identity. And what Paul's saying is, yes, he's given you the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit bears witness to your spirit. Tells you heart to heart. Can I put it this way? Soul to soul. Spirit to spirit. You are God's child. You are loved. You are a member of my family. And gosh, when that happens, oh my, it just changes everything. It changes absolutely everything. Paul writes about this several times in his letters. Earlier in this book, in chapter 5, he writes about it over in Ephesians a couple times. This was for him, totally defining that he knew God loved him. And if you're a follower of Christ, God loves you. And you can understand it in your head. But God has given you the Holy Spirit so you can also receive it in your heart. And when it happens... When the Spirit bears that testimony to you, as I said earlier, point number two, it is, it is unforgettably transformative. And if you are follow the Messiah, you should expect that to happen from time to time. And like I said earlier, the Holy Spirit loves to do that, especially in certain places. Again, Scripture, prayer, worship, I want to add one more communion communion the Holy Spirit loves to take communion those moments when you eat the bread drink the cup and seal to you you are my child you are loved of me there's so much more to say I could preach, I have preached whole series on this stuff. This is, as I've said, perhaps the most meditated on of texts in my entire Christian life, and for good reason, I believe. Let me conclude with this. Our culture says, find yourself by looking inside. But the spirit of adoption says, Find yourself in terms of who you are now in Christ. Our culture says any path will lead to life. But the spirit of adoption says knowing God as Father is the true path to life. Our culture says define yourself by whatever. Including fallen evil. But the spirit of adoption says, define yourself as beloved of God, his child, his son, his daughter. Let's pray. Father, my prayer is that you would take this, these ideas, take these texts. It's just so, so, there's so much here. Drinking from a fire hose here. As Paul shares how he's experienced the reality of the gospel. Help take these texts and and, and release them in our discussions. As I said earlier, help us to talk about these things. And help us to be ready to listen. And to welcome those who want to talk about these things. In our church. In our families. In our small groups. In our Bible studies. Please. May we be people of the spirit of adoption. Amen.